This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks. We are missing a ton of people today. There's apparently this huge secret RV industry event that I didn't get invited to, Kurt didn't get invited to, Jason and Susan. I, I feel like we're, maybe they just didn't invite the cool people. That's clearly yeah. what had to happen. So apparently there's some kind of event. So we're missing our normal Shane, Eleanor. We're missing Phil from RVA. And then we're also missing Kurt, who has a scheduling conflict too, from National Parks Traveler. But that's okay. We're going to have an awesome show without them. And super excited to, to have our RV industry our direct focus show here again, as we do the, the fourth week of every month, we've got Susan Carpenter, our regular guest from the RV Women's Alliance, and we've got two guests here, Jason Gossett and Curtis, how do you pronounce your last name? Hamler? Hamler. Yep. Hamler. Okay. So they're just, uh, the extra E is silent. So I'm going to cheat here, I'll let you guys introduce yourselves in a second, but I'm going to cheat and use my little script that Akari gave me and say, Jason is from the Unhustle Bustle, a family of newly full-time RVers. And so they're exploring the country or their bus conversion, Jason, just traveled 2,800 miles. Yeah. You were telling me that before we started the show from Orlando, Florida to Spokane, Washington, I got corrected. I learned that as well. Yeah. I thought forever that it was Spokane, but it's Spokane. And but he's also got 15 years of hospitality experience. Jason, do you want to just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background and then we'll move on to you, Curtis. Uh, yeah, I spent about 15 years in the hospitality industry, working for um, resorts and casinos. Spent this last year or so getting outdoors, just like everyone else. So I uh, ventured out on my own, do some consulting work to uh, add uh, my value to the outdoors. Yeah. So I've got other years in auditing. I've been an internal audit manager for about 10 years. So I spend my time with compliance, ethics, fees, digging in to the back backgrounds pretty deep. Yeah, just looking to add my value to the outdoors in the SUNY RV world. Awesome. Super glad to have you here. I know we're going to dive into some of the things that you're up to and things like that, but Curtis, you want to introduce yourself real quick? Sure. Thanks, Brian. Name's Kurt Hemmler. I am the executive director of the RV Technical Institute in Elkhart, Indiana, as well as the senior vice president of standards for the RV industry association. And uh, my background started actually in the military where I was a technician and then moved into logistics for about 14 years, left that and got into the school business. And predominantly in K through 12 and post-secondary building trade and career schools across the country. And about three and a half years ago, four years ago, I was contacted by the RV industry to, to come in and build a school to standardize and professionalize the career path of an RV technician, both mobile and out of dealer. Awesome. Good to have you, Kurt. Sorry, I had a ninja chop a bee there that was trying to attack me. That was what I was doing. So. <laughs> So you guys know, welcome Kara. Glad to have you. Sorry to hear that your computer crashed, but all the things are, yeah, I, everything's going wrong. Today. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> see, I, see, I just, everything's going wrong today except for Susan. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. That's great. Great. It, it's without some kind of technical failure or yeah, drama. makes it interesting. Uh, so yet again, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Sorry, I'm like I think literally half of our audience, maybe sixty percent, just watches for the technical glitches. I feel like that's what's happening. 
Yeah, it's probably but not yeah. afterwards, so it's good. Super excited to again be here. We're going to dive into some things with Jason and Kurt here in a second. I want to just take a moment to thank our sponsor for this episode, which is CampSpot Software. If you haven't heard of them, they're a campground management platform, both staff and guests love. Kind of two parts to the company, right? There's the software that, I don't know, 16, 1700 campgrounds use to make their online reservations and all that kind of stuff. Super easy to use is what I keep hearing from people over and over again. And then they've got the new marketplace software. Although it's what a year and a half old now, so maybe it's not new anymore, but super easy way. They're partnered with a, a few other companies, I think Rover Pass and a few other ones, and just really a neat way to, to book your online reservations for campsites all over the country. So super grateful to have them as a sponsor. So let's dive into this. Where do you want to start? Let's start, you know what, Kurt, I want to start with you because I honestly don't know as much about the RV industry as I do about the campground industry. That's been where I've played the last decade plus. And so as we do these kind of shows, uh, my whole goal here is to learn more about it. So tell me a little bit about, and for those people who are watching who maybe don't know either, what is the RV Technical Institute? What does it do? How does it function? Why does it exist? Sure. The RV Technical Institute is located in Elkhart, Indiana, for a lot of obvious reasons, being the center of the RV world. About, as I said, four years ago, the RV industry came together. When I say the RV industry, that's the manufacturers the suppliers and dealers, as well as co-RVing came together to address an issue. What we refer to is repair, repair event cycle time. The amount of time that it takes that you drop a coach off to be repaired to when it's actually repaired was exceeding well over three to four weeks. As a result of that, we also knew that there were close to 11 million registered RV owners out there and that RV repair was in a critical state. We were short on technicians. We did not really have a professionalized, standardized program. And so they invested $10 million to create the RV Technical Institute. They found me. We put together the team. And in the last three and a half years, we've been focused on creating a curriculum that is, as I said, standardized, professionalized. It has a career path. It allows technicians to come in and be fully certified. And this, is, this was new to the RV space. And so we've been at it for about three and a half years. And I have a team of about 10 or 12 individuals that work in Elkhart and around the area. But currently we have about 6,000 students training across the country in the program, which we do know that to improve that time, that repair event cycle time, having more technicians as well as having better trained technicians will help to bring that number down as well as some other variables such as parts availability and things. But that's the RV Technical Institute. Is there in your mind, and I have another follow-up question, but just a brief one in your mind, that 6,000 number, is that satisfying? Would you like to see more? Is that all in this? It's just the beginning, Brian. And it's, I am proud of that number. The reason why I'm proud of it is because we've only been at this three and a half years and this was really created from scratch and, and just a short three and a half year period, which some may say that is a long time. Don't forget, we did have this pandemic going on, but don't forget that also, this was something that really had not been done in the RV industry. Even though there was some training, it was a set of books and you took a test. The new curriculum allows you to take what you've learned, take a test, but then also apply your knowledge so that we know through certification that the individual can do what they say that they, that they can do. And that hadn't been the case do you, before. Do you have centralized campus for that portion of the... Or are they doing that in dealerships with? Uh, so the answer that it is, them? no, the answer that is actually yes to all of that. We do have the actual physical facility in Elkhart, Indiana. So anybody that's out in the mm -hmm. area, please stop by. We will train a few hundred 
individuals at that physical location over a year time period. But the curriculum was created to actually be distributed across the country because that's really where it's mostly going to be used and taught. And from my experience coming from education, you really have to take the education to the person these days. You, you can't expect people to pack up their lives and come to Elkhart, Indiana. So what we have created is what we refer to as learning partners. Right now we have well over 30 that are all across the country and learning partners are everything from a very large dealer group, such as a camping world, a camper's in a fun town, an RVR group. There are learning partners. We also have a couple locations that are correctional facilities that are giving second chance folks their training on the program. We have high schools, we have community colleges. So the program was developed to be able to be distributed across the country to maximize the amount of participation by individuals and students. So that's how we're of the 6,000 number, just a small percentage that actually will go through an Elkhart. The rest of it's happening all across the country. Okay. So then my second question here is, and I had a follow up, but it's just going to have to be kicked down the can because I want to ask something about what you just said. Oh, you can see across the country, is it also available or will it, or can it be available in Canada? Yes. Yes, it okay. sure can. Do you know if that's in process, Kara, or uh, people? Kara, you yeah. on the board of RVDA Alberta, so that's how I was looping her in. Yeah, no, I, I kind of sh shorted of techs up here and campuses in the program on location and there's some each of the provinces has different expectations for certification and things so different areas of the country you have different levels of need or have instances where there are all of the eastern provinces are they have to extend their guys out west to get the training in and thing to make that expectation a lot of them have young families or, or things like that makes that a really difficult thing to undertake and so it's creating this there we have a serious shortage of, of trained techs in the causing kind of a big bottleneck issue up here to use i'm sure i imagine working closely with folks like eleanor ham and whatnot specific their programs i i'd be excited to hear about it too for, mm -hmm. for sure yeah so Three weeks ago, we just, along with RVTI and Kurt and Tracy over there, we did an all-female class. And we graduated 22 women came from all different segments from all across the country. They were campgrounds. They were suppliers. They were distributors. They were from dealerships. And then we had about 10 of them that were from outside the industry that was looking to get into the industry, doing something like that. It was what we call our pilot classes. We decided who came and made sure it was well-rounded because what we're going to do next year is we're going to go with RVTI and we're going to offer it nationally in different locations throughout the country and hopefully Canada. We do have Canada pegged for that. Yay. Where we can continue to do the all-female class because one thing we realized was when you lower that barrier to entry and make it all-female, they're more apt to come because it, it's a little intimidating. It's not like men go out and try to intimidate women, but they feel a little bit more comfortable when they're learning together. So we were really excited about that because the camaraderie and the excitement and everything that went along with it was, it, it far exceeded our expectations. I know, Kurt, you enjoyed it as well. Yep. And I will say just as far as training in Canada as well, there is, there's a little bit of differences in the requirements. And Kerry, you mentioned, you mentioned it, there's Providence variances. So our program does not necessarily fit into where there's other certain requirements. 
I will say though, and it's been going on for years that the RVI, why you would want to attend the RV Technical Institute or one of our learning partners teaching this curriculum is because it's directly created by the industry, meaning that the people that put them together, the people that add the pieces, parts to them are who went into creating the curriculum, which was built off of the standards that are built off of the safety to assure that the vehicles are safe out there. So it's important that whether you're entering a school to become a technician or doing it for your own knowledge of running your own rig, that you want to do it through the RV Technical Institute or one of its affiliates because of the fact that it was built by the industry. And it's the only program out there that was built by the industry for the industry. And I think, Kurt, spinning off of that, there's a misconception that going into those classes is you're going to come out and be an RV tech and that's the career choice. I think through what we realize, I'm sure you realize too, is we've got people that worked in the OEMs, did the course, and they did it because, the same with dealerships, not working in the tech side, their service writers, warranty. And we actually had one that was just an operations manager, is they wanted to understand their customers better. And by understanding the RV better, they were able to service the customer better as well. Same with campground. If they have an issue, now they can talk the language a little bit and have a better, deeper understanding of what ticks in an RV. Good point. Okay. So I have, Jason, I want to get to you in a second, I promise. Uh, I just want to finish and wrap up this whole storyline and want to get to you. So for those of you who are watching it, and admittedly, most of our audience is campground owners, suppliers, like I think we're growing in the RV industry, but I don't think we're at the point where we have 50% split or something, or a majority of people who would watch the RV industry show, although that's probably my eventual goal. So for those people who own campgrounds, and obviously some of them are very aware of the RV industry and what techs do, but for those of you, those of them who aren't, you just ask the dumb question on purpose. What is a tech? Why are they important? What do they do? Why do you, why should everybody care about this? Sure. No, that's not a dumb question at all, Brian, especially if you are with your family and you're out in the middle of somewhere and you're trying to have a good time, you're trying to have some family time and something breaks. A technician becomes very important and a certified one is even more critical because unfortunately in the RV space for many years, certification is not a requirement a lot of times and it has follow what I would call the housing industry and that if Uncle Tom is a great wrencher, you call Uncle Tom, it's not surveying. It doesn't mean he's not good, but we're trying to professionalize this. And so what a technician is that person, if you think about your house that you live in, not the house that you live in, it's on wheels, but the house that you live on, it has a foundation. All the systems in that house, electrical, plumbing, heating, cooling, that's what a technician is going to learn. They're going to learn how those systems work. There's actually seven keys. We do not teach the engine part because predominantly that's left for the manufacturer or also because only about 10% of all the RVs out there are motorized, 90% are towed. So you're good. That technician is going to understand all those systems. They're going to be able to come in and troubleshoot and diagnose. And if they've been certified, obviously that's been validated. They know how to get you back up and running. Something that Susan said, and I would definitely emphasize because I'm a technician trained as well in the Air Force, a true technician comes with certification and some years of straight knuckles, busted up kneecaps, things of that nature in time, basically is what I'm saying. If you become an RV service technician, whether you're working at a dealership 
or you're working as an independent or mobile tech, you want to look for some certification. And ideally it would be somebody that is RBTI certified by the industry. But at the same time, when you come out certified, you're thinking somebody has never wrenched in their life. They're going to come out and they're going to be competent. But a true technician takes time and experience. And we're just, the career path that we've developed gives that individual a lifelong career path, whether in their learning is going to continue. So we teach the foundations, but as new tech technology innovation comes out, it's important okay. that they continue that education path. So that's a technician. And we said, you can find them at dealers. You can find them as mobile techs. Yeah. Let me ask you a, a hardball question, Kurt, just put you on the spot for a minute. Why do I want to be, if I'm looking for a new career, why do I want to be an RV tech? There's so many choices. Oh gosh. How long is the show? Cause I can go on for a long time, but no, the biggest reason would be, I think if you want to become a technician, here are the things that you have to accept. Okay. The nice thing about being a technician is there is a mistake in that. It's just natural to do this. When you think of a technician, you immediately think of an auto technician. And when the reality is an RV service technician is more of a trades type position because you're learning electrical, you're learning plumbing, you're learning chassis and things of that nature. If you're the type of person that likes to have, to work with your hands, if you're the type of person that likes new experiences every day, because today might be an air conditioner problem, the next day might be a heating problem, next day might be a chassis problem. If you're a type of person that likes to work independently or likes to work in warm weather, cold weather around the country, around the North America, being a technician in a mobile capacity allows you to take your services anywhere that you would want to live or be. You would also want to become a technician if you have the interest of doing a side hustle. The big thing out there now is side gigs and things of that nature. We have a lot of people that are becoming certified. And they work as they need, or they work as they want, or as they work as they do campground to campground. The one thing I can assure you is there's plenty of work with as many RVers that we have out there. And with the shortage that we had of technicians going into the pandemic, we are easily in the same situation as we was when we started. Now, as things slow down, I think we will begin to catch up and we're heavy into recruitment, specifically targeting high schools, vocational schools across the country to educate the educators that there is this career path out there because a lot of people don't think about it, but yeah, becoming a technician, it would be for all those reasons I've just mentioned, and there's probably more that I left off, but those would be the big ones. And, and let me forget one big one, the money that <laughs> you can make a lot of money. <laughs> oh, nice, thought, right? I left the important one out. Yeah. You know, we have job offers pending right now for 80, 70, $90,000 in different places across the country. For somebody that's a technician, where's the ninety? Get started. I want to know where the ninety is. And it, you don't have you don't have to look far. You just you just have to geographically the states of Texas, Florida, your big RV states typically pay more because there's more RVers and there's more of a shortage situation. So supply and demand. But it doesn't mean you even if you live in Michigan, for example, eighty thousand to ninety thousand dollar jobs as a technician, it's pretty easy to come by. I have so many questions I'd like to explore and we'll hopefully do that a little bit later in the show, but I, I want to bring in Jason because he's sitting there so patiently and so nice. And Jason, are you a certified bus technician? Can you? Uh, I'm not. But piggyback on that and it's like, yeah, from a consumer standpoint, these RV techs should feel appreciated because travel full time, run into people on the side of the road or whether if it's an RV shop and they talk about things or. We're members of a lot of social online groups, family, full-time families that they, my wife was on the phone 
constantly just talking with other families and just talk, talking about their experience. Up, like you said, sitting on the side of the road is is no fun at all. So, yeah, and so we've an RV tech, a, a good diesel mechanic. Those are great people to have in your your network for sure. Jason, how do you decide to just pack up, convert a bus, and go on the road? That's a good question. Yeah, sell our house, and my wife and I quit our jobs. Like I said, I was a auditor for resort casino. My wife was full time elementary education. And uh, we just, we had planned something. We knew something was coming and then the COVID hit and it's kind of really just kind of for our, our plan and pretty adventurous. And we were sitting at home watching everyone else online do crazy stuff in the world and see these beautiful places and meet these beautiful people. We definitely wanted to throw our hats in the ring. Yeah, it's, we're a unique experience. We had children young, our boys, we had twin boys that graduated high school. They went off to college. We also have a daughter graduated preschool and it was heading into kindergarten. We knew what K through 12 looked like. We sent the boys through it. So we said, it's a little bit different and get out and see what difference can do. Yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. It's been a great experience. And we've only been at it for about six months or so now. So it's definitely, definitely learning. <laughs> how do you decide, like when you're planning this, right? How did you, for your family, decide that you wanted to, I don't want to buy an RV standard, right? I want to convert a bus. How do you go the direction? My wife, she's, she's pretty awesome. And, and she has a background in interior design. So being able to design the bus layout was very important to her. We've got twin girls. We've got our pup beds. We've got, this is, it's a beautiful rig that she designed. We reached, we put something out online and we were contacted by a bus conversion company. And they were like, Hey, we can help you. How serious are you? So we jumped right in and haven't looked back yet. Awesome. So how do you, was the long trip we're talking about taking, was that your first trip? Did you work up to that? How long did you plan? No, we worked up to that. So we got, my, my family lives in Florida. So we took Carla a little bit in Orlando, Florida and Spokane. And that's where we picked up the bus. Stopped along the ways, spotted out some areas. Did some about where we'd like to get up on the back. So we picked up the bus and we spent two or three weeks in Spokane Alley. We spent a month in Idaho. Bozeman, Montana, which was just fabulous. That was a very campsite. And the San Diego, um, South, it's just, yeah, just slowly worked our way back. For about six weeks working our way back to pick up our dog. Awesome. What did you, what stands out for you on this huge trip right across the country? What are the, give me three things that you really were like, wow, I didn't expect to see that. Three things. Yeah. I mean, it can't be Yes, the highways packed with RVs, people, they're moving. So it's awesome to see. It is really awesome to see just people moving into sites and just the community that's been built and talked to a lot of people on the campgrounds, to people on social media. Beautiful to see like everybody has a common ground. They just want to just around, see the country and uh, talk to interact. just amazing people out there to be able to talk to for sure. Yeah, we had to someone. I'm interested um, to yeah, hear about something. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I think I have a delay. No, you're good. I was going to ask you about something we've been talking about on the show for a while that's rated with me about continually bringing up, but as then are here, what's your feelings about gas prices and how does that impact your planning and your trip to being that? Well, here they've come down a bit, but with them being higher and so what is it? Yeah, like I said, we, we see a lot of beautiful smiling faces on the road and camp. Don't really see that. Everybody's just <laughs> frowning and just talk about it. We get a lot of people 
come up to me and say, how much do you really fill that up? That's all. That's what everyone's, how long does it take to fill that? How much does it cost to fill that? Stuff, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, depressing. We pivoted on a lot of changes and you have to adapt to it. So we try to be really positive and just to be totally transparent. We gave up alcohol. So like, oh, I gave up alcohol. So like, we don't see the effects of gas prices. We went, we flirted <laughs> with being vegetarian quickly for flexitarians. We're not full vegetarian. 80% just being able to make changes in your lifestyle and pivot kind of balance. Sure. So we just. So does it implement that? What's that? Sorry. I said, does it like, like you're, when you're planning and we're setting out a route, does it impact or how long you stay in a specific park as opposed to maybe hitting the road for longer periods of time or more often on a bigger trip? No, not really. We set a destination that we're really interested in. And we really spend a lot of time looking through all the apps, just picking out stopping points going to go drive the entire way i'm new to this too so i'm driving this 20 something thousand pound vehicle down the road my house down the road so we're just making these little stops here and there but that's an important part of our planning is where are we going to go where are we going to stop we've seen everywhere from campground cracker barrels to bozeman hot springs which i throw bozeman out there because it's beautiful because they got a 12 natural hot temperatures ranging 56 to 106 degrees like that was refreshing beats a cracker barrel any day but like when pop like outside of devil's tower a little, you know we say it everywhere so it's gas prices don't really affect it we're just trying to enjoy this we made this decision and we're jumping full at all in and trying to stay as positive possible i've got a question well, that's great news <laughs> thank you I'm glad. I have a question. side, yeah. So this always intrigues me. So you've got twin girls about what you say kindergarten right now. So uh, your got a, um, eighth grader and a homeschool uh, or eighth grader and our. Okay, so being that you're traveling along with homeschooling and they get to see the places maybe they're even learning about, explain that experience and what do you think they're getting out of that? Because I find that really fascinating. How difficult it is. I'd say what when Brian asked, like, what led to this decision? And there's so many factors. Me, even 10.1, eighth grade now, she was in fifth grade and she had to do a, a state, right? Draw a state, color it in, give us three backs. She, she chose Wyoming, drew a square, colored it brown, put like state capital, the size, and the state bird. She got it. She came home with an A. She was so excited. And I was like, oh, that's, that's sad. That's Wyoming. But that kind of, planted the seed as well to push that. So like I said, we went through a while and we, we parked at the campground, went and walked up the devil's tower. And uh, like, it's just fascinating. We've got their own, their social studies books and they just learn if we're heading somewhere, they know where we're headed and they're doing their research, learning what history of the state and what they're doing. And, and most about just interacting with people that we cross paths with them. So uh, the fog at the base of devil's tower. And his 16-year-old son's climbing it. He's, he paid $750, climb Devil's Tower. And he was paying, he gives the whole story. He was raising money for charity. And they had to pay dollars to see all of it. And it's just like, they're never going to forget that. Like, I, the brown square, they won't. But they're going to feel, oh, I love Wild and You know, Devil's Tower experience and all and so on. So it's just fascinating to see. Like, you know, we've got families for Right now we're doing a home hometown roots tour, right? Like COVID ended and 
my parents live in home three times three half years. So we've been down to Florida eight times in the past 16 months. So like going around, checking on family members, making sure everyone here, they right, just reconnect. We're going to do like, we spent a month in my wife's hometown. We're planning on going through Alabama and visiting some relatives I haven't seen in 20 years and learning all the way. We did full year round learning. My wife, like I said, she's got an education background. So like she's really hands-on and she's, I can't praise her enough. She's badass. Her she does, like I said, Mm-hmm. She designed this bus and now it's kind of flagging the education system for us. Yeah. Amazing. I'm on there, but I That's good. I love the enthusiasm. Yes. It's awesome. Oh, you're right. And there's a ton to learn, right? Individually. Like I'm sure if your kids went to a school in Wyoming, they would know more than three facts about Wyoming. But when you're teaching outside of Wyoming and most of these teachers haven't been to Wyoming to see Devil's Tower to understand what it is and why, then you lose that. Yeah, mythological bear that stretches you, all the, all that stuff. My wife and I told, we went to Idaho, went to Coeur d'Alene and we're like, you know what? Idaho does not get the respect in middle school and high school in Kentucky. Yeah. And I'm like, he taught us to stay away from Idaho. There's no reason. Idaho is gorgeous. Like, it's beautiful. I love Idaho. It's amazing. It is. It is. So I'll throw an interesting fact in there. You know, what Jason has just told this great story of his personally. I've probably heard similar hundreds of times as we travel around. We talk to different folks that are RVing and the story is very similar. I left this career. I'm doing this. We're traveling the country. In fact, part of our initiative is recruitment of new technicians into the industry is focused upon high schools and homeschooling, because that's a story we're hearing a lot. And the price point that we have the education at right now to receive it is so reasonable because the industry is subsidizing it to help with the shortage of technicians that folks are jumping in and they're using it as a, like I said, a side hustle where, you know, one one parent might be a remote worker in IT. The other one is a technician and it serves obviously as an income, but it also serves as good understanding to fix your owner if something were to happen. But I do want to say one thing about the gas prices too. What Jason said is what we have seen statistically is that people don't stop RVing with gas prices. They might just adjust a bit and stay closer to home is the only thing we find, but we find very little impact into the, uh, the actual event of camping or RVing. They still do it. I said, just close. Or give up alcohol. All right. Which, which I got to tell you, Jason, man, that, that is good. That was- right there, my friend. That is. <laughs> yeah. I'm never doing that. I like my whiskey. <laughs> I like sipping my whiskey. My French fries will go before my bourbon. That- yeah. No, it is though. It's an interesting oh, it's touch- and- Go ahead. Sorry, please. I was going to touch base too on something Curtis said. Working remotely, like the big you, you hear out there is. What do you do to make money on the road? If you could find and promote guys to make money on the road and educate, there's a lot of LinkedIn. There's some sites out there that really push it, but uh, yeah. for opportunity only, that's, that holds a lot of people back. For sure. Well, and you have a good segue here, right? That it, maybe you just built yourself, but so talk about what you do on the road for your career. Yeah, we, we set aside a timeline. So we, like I said, we knew something was coming. So we're, we're planners. I'm a, I'm in a very personally finance oriented. So we saved half our income here because we knew something was happening. We knew we were going to push to get out and do something there. I'll be right there. I'll be, oh, you want to say hi? What's a bunch of people? Hi, real quick. <laughs> real quick. Do you want to say hi? You got to hurry though. You say hi. 
This is my daughter. This is Daphne. Hi. So she just she probably thought I was done. Say, so, right. love you. <laughs> she just wants a snack. Sorry. <laughs> Bus is off limits for this hour, so they're out <laughs> running around some beans. Fields in Kentucky right now, so that's what they're up to. But uh, sorry, I went blank there. We're, oh, what do I do? Yeah, we saved half our income, so we gave us a good travel period to casually do some work. So like I'm. Networking and individuals with campgrounds. I spent all my time inside this office with no windows, this little box, seven years. I didn't know if the sun was out or it was raining. Pandemic came and sent me home and I'm sitting down on my deck working. And this is what I want to do. So taking my indoor experience and getting out into the world and ideally just visiting campgrounds, all secret shops, on-site reviews. Depends on how deep you want to go, do gap analysis and we can check yours and see how well they're documented and implemented and we're trained on. So I am a big believer in uh, customer experience integration and stuff like that. And that's one thing I, when we're going outside and these campgrounds are blowing up, I just want to highlight, I've seen some few consultants, you know, you got to address these risks, stay on top of these things because like Susan was bringing up the hiding in Yellowstone, who knows what that was, but anyway, that's, we got to, I got to explain it because nobody else knows what we're talking about. Well, I, yeah, Susan found it. The yeah, it was Kurtz. It was in his newsletter. Unfortunately, he's not here today to explain it, but his newsletter came in my inbox yesterday. And in Yellowstone, in one of their geysers, they found a foot in a shoe. The foot was in the shoe, nothing else. And that clicked on his link to read his newsletter. And it didn't say it. they don't know anything yet, like, other than one of the park rangers found it. So... Stay tuned. Maybe next month when he's on the show, we can ask him what ended up happening. You know, no, you I know, think we should could, we could extend the show and let everybody go who needs to go, and we could just do a live investigation and do it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe check with Kevin Bacon. Didn't he do Footloose back in the eighties? Maybe oh. they finally found the money. <laughs> <laughs> That is a good question, though. It really is fascinating, and we're not going to obviously talk about it right now, but it is fascinating. They're like, how do you just get the foot? Because the geyser's hot, but it doesn't dissolve. It's not acidic. It had to just already be disconnected? I don't, they don't, they have no idea. People have died in the geysers. It, it said that. It said, don't go off. But then your foot doesn't fall off. Yeah. Anyway, we should move on yeah. to another yeah. subject. <laughs> go ahead, Jason. Continue. Yeah, just, you know, and just looking at, I'm trying to think where I was going with that, but yeah, just service standards, just service standards. I tune in and listen to you guys and other campground owners talk about those service standards and so forth, right? Just training those individuals, having your SOPs documented and just, or talks about industry best practices. So that's important. I make sure and always emphasize that these owners will talk about, and they're not good with names, but Mike from CRR, the guy from Blue Water, it's really good. He's talking about this. And I keep an eye on what they're posted in their positions and what's with their companies. And so it's, it's awesome to, even though you're small and growing, but ignore those compliance efforts. Yeah. And you're right. It all comes down to that kind of best practice industry standards type stuff. And it needs to exist. It probably starts at a higher level than don't let a camper lose their foot at your park. I imagine that's probably right. a common sense given thing. But so let's pivot here and talk about the interplay for a minute. And it was a question that I wanted to ask Kara, but she just jumped off here for a second. I think maybe she'll be back. But the interplay, talk to, and Kurt, maybe you have a good idea for this too, just between dealers and manufacturers and suppliers and associations. And, and then the question folded in there is, is campgrounds too. 
how do we all work together on both the tech side and the travel side and the experience side to make all of this better from an RV perspective? Sure. RV owner perspective, maybe. No, you asked the same question as a person who did not grow up in the industry, only being at the last three and a half years, that was the same question I was asking when I first started, how do we bring this all together? Because at the end of the day, it's about having that RV or that consumer have the best experience. The last thing they want to be focused on is a campsite, worried about their camper working, their RV working, so forth. So I will tell you that as the RV Industry Association and my president, Craig Kirby, who has spearheaded with Campground, we started a little over a year ago, just getting with campground leadership, uh, mm. the different associations that represent the campgrounds from the state level, from the national level, and trying to help solve or make that experience better for the consumer. I will tell you this, we, we're a long way from where it needs to be, but there is definitely an organized effort through different meetings, different as associations coming together to try to help solve some of the issues. I will tell you personally, and Jason alluded to it about, I, I find it, I think whether a campground uses it as a revenue generator, or they use it as a value add to their RVers, having a certified technician on staff or having somebody at that campground that they, that has done good business for them, represented their campground well, it's worth a lot of money. And I've actually been over the last year talking at different conventions, state associations for campgrounds, making them aware of this resource that's out there. And like I said, it's literally 300 bucks for someone to get certified right now, which is just an unbelievable price. Yeah. The only part that's hard is you actually have to do the work, but you can do it online. You can do it in person or a hybrid model. So yeah, I think we're hard at it. We're going to continue to be hard at it. I know my president is committed to the unification of the industry as a whole. And I know I've been a part personally of many meetings that had all those pieces together. And I will share also my board personally, my RBTI board, we're set up as a nonprofit, is made up of suppliers, dealers, and manufacturers. So they all have a voice and I'm actually asking them to add campgrounds to that going forward because they, they haven't been a part, but I think they're an instrumental part. So we can build an RV. That's great. But where do they take it? And we need to make sure that everybody's on this. Yeah. And historically, I've been in this industry for 35 years now as a supplier started off in the aftermarket, obviously. And then now I do aftermarket OEM. But growing up into it too, it, it's gone from this very small, not a lot of people camped when I was growing up. You could drive to a campground and pick your site. My parents used to drop me off at the site and say, stand here. So you save it. And they went back and registered it, right? Now you're making reservations six months in advance. That's how much is this exploded. And speaking to what Kurt said, I think as this industry has grown where it is, that need to bring people together, all the parts of the industry together has become so needed. And RVIA and RVTI, which is the RV Industry Association, the RV Technical Institute, for those who haven't <laughs> caught on to that yet, but they're really, they're steer, spearheading to move that needle. And it's just going to be nothing but success by doing that. And I'll add something else to that that folks aren't aware of. You know, every year, RV Industry Association has a couple different pieces, right? There's the whole Go RVing side of the house. There is the RV Technical Institute, which is really the baby that was just born three and a half years ago. But at the core of the RV Industry Association is a standards team that actually goes out and inspects facilities six times a year unannounced 
And there's also a very strong lobbying group that goes to DC every year. We call it RVs Move America. And to give you an example of how it's unifying is we're inviting campground folks also to be a part of this. And we're discussing how we can help push the Outdoor Act, which got passed a few years ago. And all of this is helping to try to strum up federal dollars, state dollars to build new parts, to update parts. Because for the RVers out there, they know there's a shortage of parts. Our parts, we have not nearly enough parts to handle. If everybody decides, I'll just give you an idea. There's about 1.1 million sites, I believe. We did a whole survey about it six months ago. I think it was like 1.1 million total. There's 11 million registered RVers. Hopefully not everybody decides to go to camp in the same weekend. So that just gives you an idea. We know we need more parts. So we're working with state, local, federal, working with the associations. Like I said, I promise you there's an effort going on. It's just, it's going to be keep pushing the peanut a little bit more each day, but it is going on. Yeah, we for sure seen the effort and Kara, I want to get your input on this. I'm glad you're back. Just the interplay between how the things work together because it, it seems to work really well up here in Canada, especially. Yeah, we have a really close to our CRVA, which is our Manufacturers Association and the Canadian Camping and RV Council, who I work for and represents the campgrounds in this country. We've all got a strategy, both very similar to what's happening in states that Kurt mentioned, where lobby efforts are, we make time and deliver our most important asks and, and messages, elected representatives as possible every year but we've also got great programs and partners you know, providing awesome member benefits and and really supporting our kind of founders of ccrvc always talks about the legged stool where we have the dealer uh, uh, service side the side of them we're all very reliant on one another obviously and with one one strong and and so that's is a good analogy we talk about often. We have such a, a, a foundation, foundationally supportive and collaborative here. It's it's a great way to advance efforts for all of us. I think going forward, especially like Susan said, where our consumers are really changing, the, the way people want to camp and plan their trips and all those things is really changing at breakneck speed. And that ability necessary, I think, to face all that change and remain as adaptable as this industry is. So I want to thank you, Kara. I really appreciate that. Kurt, I want to, I wonder, and maybe you don't have the research or the time. And I just asked you this question, how the blue that interests me. We've had in the past, we've had the gentlemen on who are going to do the, the camper extension for the cyber truck and some of these new electric vehicle concepts that are coming out both from the standard manufacturers and some new players in the industry. How does this impact the tech game? How does this change or does it? But how do you go forward and continue to train people for, I don't want to call them legacy vehicles because they're not, they're going to be continued to be bought in large numbers, but the different type of vehicles that you've always been training people on, is there a course for RVTI where you expand that to include electric vehicles? Is that going by default to an auto dealership? Where do you see that going? Yep. Yeah. No, you're tapping into probably 25% of all the meetings I've had in the last year to year and a half have been wrapped around those exact topics, electric vehicles, Thomas vehicles, what's the impact? Because remember, as I mentioned earlier, my, my other role is head of standards. And so the way we create the curriculum is based on what the manufacturers are looking to do. The manufacturers are our direct members, buyers are our direct members. And 
what the Stairs team will do is we will address as new things come to market and they say, hey, we're looking to bring this in. First thing we're going to bounce it against safety to make sure everything is safe that they're going to produce. From there, that goes into curriculum. And then curriculum is rolled into obviously what the technicians will learn. The way the career path is set up is that there's level one. Level one is where you really learn all those major systems I told you about. It's about a 40 hour class and it takes you through the seven core areas. The second or level two of the career path is where you get into diagnostics and troubleshooting. It's a little more extensive. It's about 200 more hours of training, but collectively about 200 hours to 225 hours of training, you get certified and you are what we refer to as a, a functioning competent technician. Level three is where you get into really the specializations. And this is where as new technology comes out and I'll give you an example of solar. Solar is a specific, specific area that someone might specialize in. And that's where we rely upon our members, our suppliers or our manufacturers that have this new technology so that the technicians can get that education. So as the new product rolls off the line, depending on their interest or the dealer interest or the need, a technician will specialize in that area. If that particular technology becomes, let's say the majority is being built into rigs going forward, we will weave that into the core technology education, which is level one and level two. So that's, it's, it's a constantly moving and evolving career path, but it's really in that level three where new technology, new things come into play. And that's where the technicians will go and grab and, and receive that education. But it all starts with the standards and what educating the manufacturers, what's going on in the industry. What are we hearing from our different states, from our regulatories? And, and then we make sure it's safe and then we put it into the curriculum. Is there ever a scenario where you could see breaking that apart in the future to where somebody might not need to know all the things that exist in current RVs and maybe only could take a standalone electric vehicle course? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. The level one and level two will always be like the bare bones. I want to become a wrencher as we call it. I want to be able to, to go in and be a competent technician. Level three will be dedicated. And I have no doubts and we already see it. Some folks will move through level one and level two for, so take a high school, brand new high school student that just graduated, or they might be actually taking the class while they're in high school. They become certified. They come out and they say, I really love this whole electric vehicle. I want to become a specialist in that. They might just focus on all the classes that we bring to the table. And, and I could see a specialization just in that. They may not want to move to master tech. They won't, they don't care about getting in the slide outs. They don't care about getting that base knowledge was enough, but they want to specialize in this. What I will say to education is it's always going to be evolving as technology yeah. comes out and new things are done. We're going to make sure the technicians have it. And that's what I think I was going at. I think there's a, as we've discussed already on this show and in other shows many times, there's clearly a shortage of RV techs and I'm not claiming to understand it as much as everybody else at this table does, but I'm trying and I'm learning. And so I can imagine a scenario in the future where there's somebody who comes out of, you're talking about high school or college or whatever, and has a deep desire to play with circuit boards and gadgets, but doesn't want to touch wrenches. So then is there a point where they maybe in the future, and I know this is speculation, can just say, I want to, I want to focus on that narrow window of RV specialization repair. Yeah. I think there, there will be bypassing the basics. I would always strongly discourage because that, that has been, I would say where the industry has been over the years, mm -hmm. they take somebody and they put them into a technician job and they have them repairing a roof, for example, this person 
just last week may have been working in some different field totally. And, and they didn't get that core solid based knowledge. And that's problematic after a while, unless maybe they got it from home or grandpa or grandma or somebody taught them how to ranch. What we're trying to do is address the larger masses of folks that haven't grown up ranching like me, or maybe someone of my age or older. It just has, it's, we took industrial arts, we took home ec, we took all these classes out of the high schools many years ago. And so folks did not learn what we all learned. And so we had to build it back in. And that's why I'm saying the foundations will always be good. It'll always be there. Can somebody go directly into, let's say, like I said, solar or EV? Yeah, I'm sure they can. And we will always adjust the curriculum to what is first safe and second in demand. Thank you. I appreciate it. I did share your link here in the social media channel for RV Technical Institute, but do you want to just briefly tell people if you're interested in learning more or you want to become obviously a tech, uh, sure. how they do it, where they go? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So rvti.org, like I said, we are, a, we're a nonprofit and I will tell you right now, does not matter who you are for $300, you can get involved, become a technician, become certified, or if you just choose to want to learn more. And if you've taken your rate uh, to a dealer or to have something fixed uh, the going rates about 150 to 200 an hour. So, and for $300, you can probably pay yourself back pretty quickly with some just general knowledge, but the rbti.org also, I'd like to throw out there. If you're part of any organization, if you're a campground owner, you want to see about getting a technician trained, it's $300 or it's $1,200. And if you have a facility, we'll train everybody in that facility. It can be done online in person or a hybrid where you take some online and do some in-person. Awesome. Thank you, Kurt. Uh, Jason, I want to give you the same opportunity. Just if you want to give people, is there a place they can learn more about obviously your social media channels or website or anything like that? You can find us on the end hustle bustle on Facebook, Instagram, my wife just interacting with anyone that's interested in following us. So yeah, absolutely. Jason, I just need to ask, is that literally anything you do or is it all your wife? <laughs> so she's uh <laughs> she's pretty special okay that's fine we're just, she's not, yeah i'm just messing jason that was good no hey i was uh, no i was a poor top tender when she met me i got a psychology degree after i met her so yeah she's awesome she did it all kudos <laughs> to her well watch this she's awesome she's <laughs> she can do anything awesome awesome any parting thoughts? Yes, Bill, for sure. Like I said, on the, he's got to pick the bus bill too. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I did try to look it up. I'm using Firefox. I forgot to go back to Chrome like we told Susan, so it won't let me share the window. I was going to share pictures earlier when you were talking, but definitely, yeah, go check it out. It's really cool outside, but yeah, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, any parting thoughts, Kira? Anything else we need to cover or wrap up? Ah, uh, gosh, I think we probably, uh, we've got, Majority of our guests, some of our guests today missing because of the, an award today that, that's pretty exciting. I'm sure. I don't know if they've made an award yet, so I'm not going to say. Oh, so you don't want to say anything, but else? yeah, but stay tuned. And anyways, that's the Bible. Yeah, we won't tell anybody. recognition, right? Yeah, we miss those guys, but they're doing important stuff today. So next month. Otherwise, yeah, I think. I'm Today, always great discussion. Sorry for my technical issues. <laughs>
ever. Uh, can't be one show without it. But anyways, this uh, for sure it made it. Uh, uh, yeah. Any technical Yay. We should get to the other one. I'll just chill up. Oh, man. I had to go home for better internet without security. Yeah. Yeah, you name it. See? Never fail. There's got to be some hurdles in the back. For sure. All right. Can't be too easy. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you being here, Jason. Best of luck to you and your family on the road. I think there's probably just the beginning of it. You're going to have a ton more to come, and maybe we can have you back on the show when you have a little bit more to share. Kurt, as always, thank you for being here, too. RVTI, really, RVTI. I don't know if I keep pronouncing that wrong or it's my nope, head right. right. Yeah. Well, like I said, A. But anyway, Kurt, so excited to have you here just to learn more about that tech issue, the industry, that how what you're doing to solve it and all that kind of stuff. I'm really grateful for you sharing all that with us. Susan, as always, from the RV Women's Alliance. It's What's the RV Women's Alliance website again so they can check that out? RVWA.org. Um, RVWA.org. Yep. Is there information for women who would like to become text too, Susan? Is there a place they can go? We're going to be announcing that in January. It's going to be, like I said, we did our pilot, so we're going to do a nationwide one. So we'll be making the announcement soon once we secure the sites and stuff. So, yeah. Make sure you send the announcement to Modern Campground so we can put it out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And then thank you as always, Kara, for joining us. I really appreciate it. So we will be back next week with our, I think it's our open discussion show. Maybe it's a fifth week. I don't know how many days are in August. It's summer. It's a fifth, fifth week. week. It's going to yeah. be terribly boring. I just be me and Kara. We'll see. I'm sure Kari has to be Oh boy. Us, but, uh, but super excited. Thank you guys so much. And we will see you next week. Take care, guys. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com. 